last week we began a new series um, called an upgraded faith. Everybody say upgraded faith. I'll be, I'll be catching you up on some of the ideas if you missed that, but it's, you know, it's on YouTube, it's on our uh, church podcast, and our podcast, if it's easier for you going uh, to and from work, you can get the podcast on iTunes, or you can go right to our website, and it's there as well. Um, good, good way to catch up if, you, if you've missed out on anything um, over the past seasons. But listen, in 2 Peter chapter 1, which is where we really began looking Um, last week, what we found is that there is such a clear and powerful truth about how that we can become people who have a faith that is both effective and productive. Everybody say effective. And productive. You got the effective part. And then say, and productive. I mean, that's the kind of faith we want. Because who wants a useless and dead faith? And friends, really, that's, that's the option. It's either going to be effective, right? Or, or it's going to not work. Who wants a faith that doesn't work? Or it's going to be a faith that's either fruitful, it's productive, it's bearing good fruit, or it is dead. It is lifeless. It is barren. I'll tell you, no one wants a faith like that. And yet, too often, people who have said yes to Jesus, as they, their story unfolds, they look at their faith and they go, I, you know, I don't know what's going on, but it, it doesn't work. What, what I thought that I had, you know, this, this putting my trust in Jesus, it's not creating like this positive uh, impact in my relationships in my marriage or with my kids or with people at work. You know, it's not, it's not helping my finances. It's not helping my mental health or my emotional well-being. And they're going, why isn't this working? But then there's other people, some crazy people that we come across that have a faith that isn't just kind of effective or kind of productive, it's like supercharged, effective, supercharged, fruitful. It's like this, these people of amazing faith. And when you look at their lives, you just go, man, I don't know what it is about them, but their faith works just from every else. I was thinking this week just about people, because there's people like that right here in our church body in our church family. In fact, man, if, if, if you're younger in your faith or you're trying to figure out, man, how do, how do I have a faith that is effective and productive? Can I just tell you, find someone with that supercharged kind of faith, a faith that really works and is fruitful and, and like they have a track record of this in their life. Get up close to them. Yes. Yes. Hang out with them. Yes. So I can I buy you coffee? Like, can I just come over and talk to you about your life and why I see your faith working in your life when I'm still trying to figure that out? It's one of the best things that we can do. But I'll tell you, dotted throughout history, in fact, in some of the darkest moments of human history, there have been these people of like standout, supercharged faith. I was thinking of somebody you may never have heard of but he left an indelible mark on the church of Jesus Christ. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who lived right in those days leading up to the Second World War. He was a German pastor who stood against the evil that Hitler was bringing into not only his country, of course, but into the world, spreading darkness. And Dietrich was a pastor in Germany during that time. And he actually had the opportunity to come over to the United States and to study theology here. And so he was over living in, in the United States, but, but all of this stuff was brewing in Germany. And you know what this, this man of supercharged faith did? He said, I'm going back. He could have stayed in the United States, But he went back because he knew that people needed someone 
of real faith, of an effective and fruitful faith. So he went back and he began to gather people together and he actually created like a school for people to teach them how to live in this supercharged faith kind of way, even in the midst of darkness. And then he was arrested, thrown into prison. And just before the end of World War II, his life was taken from him in prison. He lost his life in prison, never having turned his back on Jesus, never having turned his back. And man, the, the fantastic thing is that, that he wrote a number of books that have really been influential in the church and in Christianity right through this day. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a man of supercharged, even in the darkest hours, so we, we look and we go, man, I know that there's some people, sometimes I even feel like it's me, that my faith isn't working. But then we look at other people and say, they've got this supercharged, mega effective, mega productive faith. Even when it looks like that shouldn't be their story. But if you met one of these people, and there are some of them in the room today, they would tell you, the first thing they would say is, hey, listen, it's cool, I'll talk to you about faith and how life works, but I need you to know I am not a perfect person. In fact, if they were very honest, most of them would say, and I'm not very smart either. <laughs> like, I'm not like brilliant. I'm not like, there's nothing like above average about just who I am as a person. But I'll, I'll tell you is when you get to know their story, what you find out is the very things that we're discovering together in 2 Peter chapter 1 are the things that they have based their life upon. They have anchored themselves to at least a couple of the truths that we began to unpack last week. And so I want us to turn back there to 2 Peter chapter 1 and let's be reminded of what Peter says in chapter 1 verse 3. So important. He says this. He says, by his divine power, God has given us everything that we need. Just stop right there for a moment. He has given us everything that we need. There is nothing lacking that God has not provided. He's given us everything we need for living a godly life. Some translations say this. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. Like it's this comprehensive look at everything that you are. Sal, everything that you're gonna need in life. To live this life of faith, he's given you everything. And what we talked about last week is it's the gospel. It's the story. Of, of God's love being so rich for us, so good for us, that Jesus came and lived among us a perfect life because he's God. And yet he sacrificed his life for you and me, allowed himself to be killed on the cross, that his blood would be shed, his perfect blood would be shed for imperfect humanity, that we might be cleansed forgiven, made right with God, fully restored in every way. Why? Because he's given us everything we need, everything we need for life, for godliness. And then he goes on and it's like, well, how, how do we get that? I, I want that. I, I need everything that God's got for me. And he says, we have received all of this. He gave everything and we get all of it. How? By coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. So we have been called. Have you heard his voice, friends? Have you heard his voice? He's calling. Hey, my child, the one who I love, I invite you in. I invite you to receive everything that you're gonna need. And then some people say yes to that invitation and others say no. Those who 
have lives with this supercharged, mega effective and productive faith, a faith that works. There are people, first of all, who've said yes to that invitation. They said, you got everything that I need for life, for godliness? I accept. Sign me up. I want that from you, Lord. So that's the first thing. And last week, what we talked about in this whole idea of an upgraded faith, we talked about our faith in Jesus being this new operating system that we now live in. That like we, we were done with that old operating system of trying to figure out life on our own and trying to patch things together and, and all of our brokenness and just the sinful way that we tend to, to look at life and being ruled by our senses and driven by our temptations and all that kind of stuff. And but God says, no, I've got a new operating system for you. And it's one of faith. It's one of putting our trust in Jesus. So we say, yes, we receive this new operating system. But check this out. Those with a supercharged faith, guess what? They are not people who just stop there. Ooh, yay, I got my new iPhone 14, right? It's so cool. But then they go on and use it and use it and use it and they never upgrade it. They never like hit that little update button to upgrade the operating system. And we know what happens with devices that do not get upgraded or updated. What happens? They become ineffective and they become this huge security concern, right? Because there are evil people out there trying to break in and steal your identity. To take your stuff. And it's the, listen, just like you do with your, your iPhone and your smart device, your computer, it needs to be upgraded. And guess what? That's exactly what Peter tells us here. That God's given us everything we need. That's that new operating system. That's the gospel. But then he goes on and check out what he says down just a couple of verses later in verses five through seven. He says this, make every effort to add to your faith. Can you, can you help me out here? Say, add to your faith. Okay, that was about a third of you. This is so important. And friends, this is like the heartbeat of this entire conversation in this series that we're in right now is that God has given us the operating system when we say yes to him. But shockingly, it's not enough to be people with a faith that works. This effective and productive faith only comes this way, by adding to our faith. So I want, I want, I want us to look at that again, and then let's everybody say that first statement with me. Make every effort, come on everybody, make every effort to add to your faith. And then of course he goes on and then he, he lists a number of things that are the kinds of things that needed to be added to our faith. I don't believe this is an exclusive comprehensive list because there's other places we read in the New Testament where we're to add other things in. But every one of these seven things, you can better believe it's on like the priority list. Priority upgrades right here. Like make sure you've got these things going on in your life. He talks about goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, which is like a, 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 just like a human kindness, and love. Seven things that are like on a priority upgrade list that he goes through. What amazes me, and we mentioned this a bit last week, but the reason I believe that each one of these things Peter selected to say, hey, here's the upgrades you need, add these things to your faith, is this. They do not come automatically when you say yes to Jesus. None of them. None of these things are automatically given to you to just like, oh, now I'm godly. Woo, yay. <laughs> now I have perseverance. Come on, storms, roll in and try to knock me over. No, no, no. 
Those have to be added. Those are upgrades. You don't just become loving because you said yes to Jesus. You choose love. You, choose, you and I have to do the things like we did yesterday, like building beds for kids, right, who don't have a bed. Why? Because what motivated us? Because we're going to get our picture up on the screen? Well, I hope not. <laughs> no, we're motivated by love for others just the way, just the way, right, that Jesus loved us and has given us everything. Well, what can I do? I can't give everything to someone else. That's Jesus' job, but I can give something. And love motivates us. Listen, guys, that's not natural. Even for people who have initially said yes to Jesus, have a new operating system, if we do not add to it, guess what it says? We're gonna see this in a second. Our faith is gonna be useless. It's gonna be ineffective and unproductive. If we fail to Upgrade, upgrade, upgrade our faith. I can even say continual upgrades. And that's what he goes on and says. Check this out. Because a couple verses later in verse 8, he says, you ready? Put this verse up there, First Peter, or 2 Peter 1.8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure. In other words, like, Okay, so the goodness, the knowledge, the self-control, all this stuff, the godliness, the love that I had yesterday, that was good for yesterday, but you know what? I'm being told I need more. So there's like this continual upgrading, like the more and more, like I I don't want to just stop in my level of maturity and growth in my faith of where I was last year. Or even yesterday. Come on, my soul. Let's go. Let's get after it. Let's continue growing. We need continual upgrades of these things. And he says this, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from what? From being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, it's great that you came to know Jesus, that you said yes to him, that you've got this new operating system, but if you don't keep continually upgrading your faith, you're in trouble because you're going to end up having a useless faith. Man, I have so much that I'd like to dive into and share with you. And that's why I love teaching in series. Because next week, you guys, we're gonna, we're gonna dive back into this and there's so much more that I believe that God wants to show us through, through this. But, but, I, but I wanna leave you with, with one like mega new thought here. And it has to do with the first thing that he says that we're to add. The first thing on Peter's list, and, and, and like I said, I don't think it was a comprehensive list, but he was very intentional about what he chose in this passage to those who he was writing to. He was writing to people who were a persecuted church. If you read 1 Peter and 2 Peter, you're going to find all over the place that, that he's talking about their suffering. He's talking about, man, you know, this, this may not change. Uh, you know, the suffering may not end. So how do we live in people that are in a pretty dark space, in a pretty dark world? And, and I think that, you know what, you guys, when we look around our world, is, is our world getting better on its own? I mean, you looked at the stock market on Friday, you'd know, ooh, well, there goes a bunch of my wealth. If you have anything in retirement savings or you know, mutual funds or things, ah, there it goes. The world isn't just automatically getting better. Don't spend too much time watching the news because you'll be convinced that like, oh, everything is going down the tubes. But we do live in very dark times. But Peter wrote to people who were living in very dark times. And he's talking to them about their faith. And he says this. He says, 
Make every effort to add to your faith. And the first thing he says is this, goodness. Goodness. My goodness. My goodness. Goodness. Add to your faith, goodness. Saying yes to Jesus doesn't automatically make you good. And the first thing that he chooses here to say that we need to upgrade our faith with is goodness. Listen, this does not mean, this word goodness does not just mean like being a better person. I'm just going to be nicer, a little bit nicer. It doesn't, that is not what it means. In fact, there's many people in the world who I believe we could describe as good pagans. Like, they're really nice people. They make some of the nicest neighbors, right? I've had some, some of the nicest good pagan neighbors, right? But that's not what this is talking about because what, it, what is Peter saying here? He's saying, no, add goodness to your faith. Come on, add goodness to your faith. faith. So he's talking about a faith that is good. Not just kind of trying to clean up my pagan self and be a little nicer. I like some of the things that Jesus did. He was really kind. He did some really nice things for people. I'm going to add some of those things. That's not what he's talking about. Not talking about just cleaning up our lives a little bit. He's saying, no, 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 no. To your faith in Jesus, add, upgrade with goodness. This word goodness has to do with virtue. With moral excellence. Being someone who goes from being unvirtuous, kind of where sin dominates our story, and our brokenness is kind of coming out both in our thoughts and in our actions, and it's being replaced with something different. There's this virtuous way that we begin living, a life of virtue, a life of holiness, or we could even say of wholeness. There's many examples. I think we we wouldn't have to go far to our thoughts to, to realize why Peter may say this, because there's a lot of people who don't have a good faith. They have a bad faith. In fact, there's many common stories throughout history and even today where people who claim to be people of faith who do a lot of very bad, very evil things in the name of their faith. And of course, I'm not, I'm not talking, old. Christianity is not exclusive in this territory. There's a lot of people who do a lot of bad things with a background of many different kinds of faith. But I think it is actually like extraordinary, extraordinarily perverse when people take Jesus and somehow manipulate and twist the beauty and the power of who he is and use that to somehow hide behind their evil, their darkness. Lots of bad things have happened in history. Racism. murder, sexual exploitation, the manipulation of people and theft, all by people who claimed to be Christ followers. We need to grieve that. And if you're like, good thing I didn't make that list. (laughs) You know, it's like, Okay, I, I'm thinking back. Okay, I, no, I, did I kill anybody? No, I didn't do that. Didn't do that. Okay. Um, it's like, hey, folks, remember that each one of us has been marked by sin. Each one of us has been marked by evil in our stories. First John 1.8, man, uh, John reminds us, he says, man, if we claim that we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in truth. All of us. In Romans, man, Paul Paul gets after it, said, none of us are righteous. Not without Jesus. 
But there, but there does happen to be a whole different kind of sinfulness that, that we can kind of hide in our culture today. Like, listen, our world today will camouflage a lot of our sinfulness because maybe, maybe not murder, maybe not overt racism and things like that. But listen, there's a whole lot of things that our culture camouflages. Like it's easy to be a person, even someone of faith, who is very greedy because our, our culture camouflages that. Like we can hide behind our culture. So we can just say, oh, no, I'm not greedy. I just want a lot of things that the world has to offer. More, more, you know. And so we become people marked by greed or marked by lust because it's just so common in our culture. All kinds of brokenness. We can become gossips, right? We can spew hate with the words that we say or the things that we post about entire groups of people or individuals, people who Jesus loves and who he died for and are made in his image. That we can like just take on this hateful posture. Why? Because it's so common in culture and so culture will camouflage a lot of our sin and brokenness. Make every effort, he says, to add to your faith goodness. So what does goodness look like? Can we just flip back really quick to to the first verse we looked at, verse three in 2 Peter 1. I want you to notice something. He He says this, he says, we have received all of this by coming to know him by means of his marvelous glory and what? His excellence. Here's what I want to tell you. That word excellence is exactly the same word in the original language as when it says that we need to take this trait on ourselves, add to your faith goodness. That word goodness is the exact same word used of Jesus when they chose the word excellence. This goodness is a trait of Jesus himself. So if we want to know what goodness looks like, look at Jesus. Look at him. His life embodied perfection, or what the author called here, translated as excellence, in every way. And we're called to be like him. But we know Dang it, I'm not like him. I look in the mirror and I recognize, ah, I have all this junk in the trunk. You know, I've got all this baggage. I've got all this stuff that I, from, from some of it from my childhood, from my youth, or maybe even things that like I picked up during COVID that are just, it's bad. I know it's bad. I know it's wrong. I know it's not good. So what do I do? Listen, the only way To upgrade our faith with goodness is to walk in repentance. And that's what I wanted to get to before we head off in our week. The only way that we can upgrade our faith with goodness is to learn to be people who walk in repentance. Repentance is essential in the lives of believers who want to have a faith that works, that is useful and fruitful. And listen, repentance was a, it's found all through scripture. But I want you to know that it was a key theme of Jesus himself. It was something that Jesus talked about. In fact, In the very first thing, the very first thing that the gospel writer Mark recorded that Jesus said, you know what it was about? Repentance. And then John, when he wrote about, uh, he wrote the book of Revelation, this, this vision that God gives him, and Jesus has words for seven churches. You know the first thing recorded that Jesus speaks to the churches in the book of Revelation? Repentance. Let me, let's just look at those really quick so you can just capture what Jesus is saying. In Mark, first thing Jesus is recorded as saying, captured by the author Mark, 
In chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus says this, the time promised by God has come at last. Yay. The kingdom of God is near. So what do we do? Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Repent. And then skip over to Revelation. Jesus has these messages for seven churches. And the first church that he talks to, he says this in Revelation 2, 4, and 5. He says, you have forsaken the love you had at first. Your first love. You've forsaken it. Consider how far you've fallen. So what do you do? Repent and do the things you did at first. What I I think is, is important to capture here, in Mark, Jesus was talking to people who we would describe as unbelievers. People who had not yet put their trust in Jesus. Why? Because Jesus had not proclaimed the full gospel yet. He hadn't gone to the cross. He hadn't died for their sins yet. He was laying the groundwork for all that. But Jesus went to unbelievers and said, hey, repent. But then we get to Revelation and Jesus is talking to churches. He's talking to you and to me, people who are believers, people who've already said yes to him and accepted the gospel, change operating systems, all of that that we've been talking about. And guess what he says to them? Repent. Listen, it's necessary. Repentance is necessary for us actually to come into relationship with Jesus, to put our trust in him. We have to repent, but then it doesn't stop. Repentance is necessary all throughout life. And I believe especially if we are to upgrade our faith continually with goodness. What is the definition of repentance? In, if you were to study the Greek, the word is metanoia, is repentance, metanoia. Meta meaning change, noia meaning mind. Literally, it means to change your mind. To have like a change of mind or the change of how we are perceiving life, how we're, how we're seeing things. There's, a, there's this shift that takes place. That's what repentance is. Pastor John Tyson, love him. Many of you have become familiar with his ministry. I love the definition that he gives to repentance. He says this, a change of mind that leads to a change of heart and life. A change of mind that leads to a change of heart and life. And then I'm going to throw in my own little definition of repentance here. You ready? A full life reset based on the revelation of God. When I repent, I'm doing this reset. Somehow things have gotten jumbled in my brain and I've started operating in a way that is not in accordance with how God has defined that life should work. Remember, he gave me everything that I need. Everything that I need for life and for godliness. But things will get jumbled. I will make some wrong choices. That, those lead to other wrong choices. I begin to develop thought patterns that are ungodly and start looking at life in all these broken ways again, even after I've said yes to him. Yeah. Come on, anybody relate? Or is this just my story? <laughs> Repentance is doing this whole life reset. Now, if you got a smartphone or a computer or whatever, what, what the manufacturer will tell you is that every once in a while, you actually need to turn it off. And then turn it back on again. Like some things just don't fix themselves without a hard reset. But when you turn it off and you turn it back on again, it, it, all those things kind of like work themselves out. All the little bugs, that, right? Repentance is like that. It's like, no, I've got to stop fully what I'm doing, the way I've been thinking. I need to stop fully and come to that place of a full life reset based on the operating system that he's given me 
that has given me everything that I need for life. And everything that I need to live that life in a godly manner, in a, a, a life of faith. Is it making sense to you? Yes. Repentance is essential as part of how we upgrade our lives, the way we're thinking and behaving. Why is, just thinking about this, is why is repentance usually marked by some kind of grief? Why why does our heart kind of break and that leads us to these times of repentance in our lives? It has to do with that word revelation that I used, that repentance is like this full life reset based on the revelation of God. In other words, revelation is like he reveals something about himself to you. He shows you something that you didn't see before. In fact, last week we, we were looking at, uh, further into this chapter in 2 Peter chapter 1 where it says, hey, people that don't do this, it says they're nearsighted and they're blind. Like there are things that we just become blind to, friends. Nearsighted. We only see the things right in front of us and we miss the bigger picture. But Revelation clears all that up really quickly. All of a sudden, oh my God, I see something about God that I've never seen before. Something is like all of a sudden clear. It's revealed. And that changes everything. Because when I see something about him truly, the way he is, his love, his truth, his beauty, his power, you know what happens? I am drawn to that. But where does the grief come from? I see myself in such clarity, living in some ways that are opposite to that revelation. He's holy, and I see all of a sudden, oh my gosh, I am living in ways that are so unholy. He is love, and all of a sudden, I get that revelation of his love, and, but then I see, oh, there are so many places of brokenness in my own story where I am so unloving. Why does grief come with repentance? I believe it's so often because that revelation not only shows us something clearly about who he is, but it shows us who we're not. And so we grieve. But then, (laughs) this is the beautiful good news. The beautiful part of thinking about repentance is that when we repent, this change of mind that leads to a change of heart and life. Like Pastor John said, this full life reset. When we do that, God doesn't take, take us and like beat us up with it. He doesn't take us and like shame us with our brokenness. You know what he does? He pours out his love. He's out just waiting for you just to like come to me with that. I already knew what was going on. This God. He knows the attitudes and the thoughts and the behaviors. He knows the good and the bad. And when we bring it to him saying, hey, heal this God. Pour out everything that I need that this might be made whole. You know what he does? He just loves on us, forgives us, fully restores us. I love the way Peter talks about this, but not in 1 Peter. It's actually found in Acts when, when Peter was standing in front of a whole big group of people who had really messed up because they killed Jesus. And I love the way that Peter talks about this in Acts 3, 19 and 20. He's standing in front of all these people and he says this, he says, now repent. Now repent of your sins and turn to God. It's that turning, right? That change of mind, that change Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. He doesn't bring shame. He doesn't bring condemnation. He doesn't like beat us up for those things we need to repent of. You know what he does? I'm here to refresh you. I'm here to heal your story not beat you up about your story. 
I'm here to refresh. How many of you are in need of refreshment from the Lord? How many of you are in need, like I am, daily, of like that life flow, that refreshing flow of his word? Friends, guess how we get it? Living a life of repentance. It's how we can upgrade our faith to include goodness. How we can restore virtue and even moral excellence into our own stories in addition to our faith. Because it doesn't come automatically with our faith. More next week. Listen, there's probably two responses that that may be needed in the room right now from all of us. One is a response for people who have not yet said yes to Jesus. You're still living with that old operating system that kind of you constructed throughout your life and you try to make it work, but you realize, man, my life is not working the way it should. I have not received everything that I need from God for for my life. Could it be that you haven't come to a place of repentance? That you are still operating the way that your mind had at one point determined, no, this is how I'm gonna live. This is how life should work. And so you're still based on that old operating system. And here's what I would invite you to do. Repent. A reset. But here, but check this out. A reset based on the revelation of God. I believe that a lot of people don't repent because they've never had a revelation of who God truly is. So the first thing that I would ask of everyone here that has not yet said yes to Jesus, would you just simply, I mean, this is like a radical ask, I know, But would you ask him to reveal himself to you? I think it's the boldest thing that someone who is not yet a person of faith can risk. Jesus, if you are real, if you are truly who you say you are through scripture, reveal yourself to me. Show me who you are. I need to see you, I need to see you clearly. Because I, I, I believe, friends, that if we do that, he will. Because scripture tells Jesus says, hey, if you ask, you're gonna be answered. If you knock, that door is gonna be open to you. If you seek, you will find. I believe if you'd sincerely come to the Lord and say, Jesus, reveal yourself to me. I, I need to see you so I can put my trust and my faith in you so that I can have this change of mind that will lead to a change of heart and life. Just ask him to reveal himself to you. And then for all the rest of us who have said yes to him, but realize, ah, I need to continue upgrading my faith. I need to continue adding to my faith goodness. We need to invite that inspection of the Lord. God, would you reveal anything in my life that is not pleasing to you. Would you help me see thoughts, attitudes, behaviors, words, all, all, all those kinds of things that pop up in our, in our stories. Would you, Lord, begin to reveal to me things that I need to hit reset on? I need, there, there, there's likely things that I need to repent of. Some of you already know what they are. Because over the last 20 minutes, you've been going... Oh, man. Is he talking to me? Does he know what's going on in my story? No, I know what's going on in all of our stories. Because it's my story too. So Jesus, we come to you. Lord, for those who have not yet accepted you, they have not yet put their trust in you. Right now, friends, would you just say, Jesus, reveal yourself to me. In fact, Let's all do that so we don't make anyone feel awkward. But would you just put this on your lips? Would you say, Jesus, Jesus. if you are real, real. reveal reveal yourself to me. 
Show me who you are. I want to see you. So reveal yourself to me. And if you reveal, I will respond. So now, Jesus, do that. Lord, show yourself right now in this moment to Lord, to men, to women. Lord, to those who are young, those, those who are old. Lord, reveal yourself. Reveal to them the work of the cross. Lord, the forgiveness, the power. of your spirit's presence. Reveal yourself, Lord. Reveal yourself. And Lord, don't stop right here in this room. Lord, reveal yourself to family members who aren't here today. Lord, reveal yourself to friends online who are just trying to make sense of faith. God, reveal yourself to our neighbors. Reveal yourself, Lord, to those whom we work with. In Jesus' name. And now, Lord, for all of us, God, we pray that you would help us inspect our own stories, our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, our attitudes, our actions. Lord, and when you show us things that are out of alignment with everything that you've given us, Lord, help us to repent. Empower us right now, Lord, to not be caught by fear or to be trapped by shame, but to say, Jesus, I need to repent. God, I need to add to my faith because I don't want a dead and useless faith. I want to be one of those people with a supercharged faith that works in every part of my life and story. So Jesus, today we come and we repent. Whether it's the first time or Lord, if it's the thousandth time, you receive us. You receive us in love. Listen, if, if you were part of that first group that said, I, I'm, I am praying for a revelation of Jesus. I, I want to say yes to him. Would you just like wave your hand at me so that I can like a, agree with you and acknowledge that, that you're like someone who's like seeking Jesus. Yeah, ma'am, I agree with you. Yeah, yes. I see a bunch of hands. Yeah, that's awesome. In just a moment, as our ministry team comes, I'm gonna invite those who just raised their hands that I am seeking after Jesus. I'm gonna ask that you would come and that you would say, hey, would you pray for me as I seek a revelation of Jesus that, that I'd have that, that I might respond to it fully. And then I know that if I asked, how many of you, even if you just said, Jesus, inspect my life, show me areas that I need to repent of, are there others or is it only me that would say, yeah, there are things that I need to repent of in order to do a reset. Anybody else? Anybody else? Just wave your hand and say, yeah, I, I, there are things I need to repent of. Attitude and action. Yeah. Every part of my life. Yeah. Lots of us. Listen, I invite you as well to come. If you need to make confession, it's a safe place to do that. If you need someone to pray for you and say, this is the area, I need to be accountable in this area. Medinas, would you come and be available to pray with people? Any of our council members that are here, staff that are here, Judy, if you'd come. Just to be available. to partner with those who are saying, I want to do a reset. I want to repent. Maybe it's something from 30 years ago that you've carried this burden like a boulder everywhere you've gone. Or maybe it's just something from yesterday that you want to clean up before the Lord so you can move forward knowing that you are upgrading your faith daily. Jesus, thank you. Lord, thank you for your life. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your mercy and your grace and your love. God, we give it all to you. 
for your sake and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Hey, before you move, before you move, before you move, some of you know that many weeks ago or a number of weeks ago now that there was a series of Wednesday nights that we opened up uh, this room right here just to become an altar, a place of prayer. Um, we're going to be doing that again. And, and it's rooted in the things that we're talking about in this series about adding to our faith. And we're going to be talking about prayer in some weeks ahead in this series and the importance of prayer in this process. But friends, I, I believe that it's time to press in, to, to get after it, that if God is going to bring refreshing to not only us, but to our church family and beyond. Church, I just want to pray with you. And we're, we're not doing, we're not making a big formal thing. There's not going to be any child care. We're not teaching. We're not preaching. We're not, you're, you're not going to come and like have a big band up here. It is to come and to cry out together. We're going to be doing that each Wednesday night, um, probably between now and right before Thanksgiving um, as, we are, as we are in this series. And I'm going to ask you, friends, to come and to pray. I'm going to be here most of those weeks, um, but we're going to not just have this exclusively for men. We're going, to, we're going to open this up to the whole church family. If you've got kids and you're like, but I don't know what to do with them, well, great thing we've got youth group going on on Wednesday nights as well. Um, but, but would you come and would you join me? Um, we're going to be doing this six to seven. Um, come after work. Um, we won't keep you long. We'll be done at seven every week. But come together. If you, if you have the opportunity to do so. We'll drop some word out online uh, as a reminder, but come. Let's pray. Let's see what God would do to create us individually as people with a really useful and productive faith, but that that would spread into our whole church and beyond into our community. In Jesus' name, you are loved. We'll see you next Sunday.